All right, welcome to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Benjamin Carlson, joined by Corey Novotny and Brian Wells. We continue our NFL postseason discussion with the divisional round as today's main topic. We'll also recap Clemson's blowout victory over Alabama in the college football playoff national championship game in the quick hitter segment. Later in the episode, we introduce two new segments with Goodbye, Old Friend and Eloha Echo. And in honor of the start of America's Got Talent, The Champions, and the 23rd season of The Bachelor, we conclude with our top five favorite reality TV shows of all time. So with that, let's get started. So let's start things off by talking about the NFL playoffs. And before we get into our divisional round preview and picks, let's uh, kind of recap what happened in wildcard weekend from a prediction perspective. So right now we have our standings with Brian in first place with seven points, followed by me with six and Ben in third with two points. But that doesn't totally tell the full story because uh, while we all picked the Cowboys to win, And while Brian was the only one to pick the Chargers and Ben was the only one to not pick the Colts, Brian said the Bears would beat the Eagles 45-7. to Ben made it seem like the Eagles, uh, we couldn't count them out like that and predicted a 13-10 game. So uh, I think Ben, you know, despite being at the end, has a a lot of... uh, not, I wouldn't necessarily say bragging rights, but he has a lot of a lot to be proud of, at least in terms of predictions going into this week, and that has kind of made this a close game uh, between Brian and I for now. Yeah, that's pretty generous, Corey, because I uh, I got pretty close to no points, so <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take your uh, praise. I do feel good about my like prediction for the Bears Eagles game in general. I think that the game flow was a little bit like how I predicted that it was going to be low scoring when a lot of people predicted maybe uh, a blowout in the favor of the Browns or maybe just even a high scoring affair. But um, but overall. I, the whole weekend, I kept on face palming like with my terrible picks. Uh, so I just have to be extra bold if I want to make up the points in uh, in this next round of predictions. I don't know about you guys, but I totally nailed that prediction. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess just to kind of recap how the scoring broke down. So we get one point for a victory. We also get one point each for uh, being within three points on our score prediction. So... Uh, all of us overshot the Colts-Texans game. None of us expected Houston's offense to struggle as much as they did. Uh, Dallas against Seattle. Brian and I got the full three points for that one. The Chargers and the Ravens. Uh, as I said, Brian is the only one to nail the Chargers pick, and that was really what separated him. And then the Bears-Eagles, uh, not not very favorable for uh, the most of us. And we did get a couple points for saying that the, the uh, score would be a little lower and... That is where we are now, so let's move on to the divisional round. 
and let's get things started with the AFC's number one seed Kansas City Chiefs hosting the six-seeded Indianapolis Colts on Saturday at 4.35 on NBC. And this, to me, is an interesting game because the Chiefs have been the number one seed in the AFC basically the whole season, but the Colts are coming in having won 10 of their last 11, and they seem to be a team that nobody wants to play right now. Yeah, I'm really excited about this matchup. I mean, um, you've got two MVP caliber quarterbacks going at it, and uh, I predict it's going to be an absolute uh, shootout. Couldn't agree more, and I, I think Andrew Luck was, in my opinion, the best player in wildcard weekend. Yeah, I, I also think it's going to be a lot of scoring in this game. And regardless of what happens to the Colts, I think they have to feel very good about themselves moving forward, knowing that they got a healthy Andrew Luck. They have an offensive line that went from one of the worst to one of the best in the league. They have some young stars in their defense, and I think they're going to give Kansas City a run for their money. Lucky for the Chiefs, they did get a bye week, so they get a chance to kind of uh, rehabilitate some of their injured players like Sammy Watkins, Spencer Ware. Eric Berry, who we've barely seen this season, but he's certainly been a Pro Bowl caliber player this uh, throughout his career. And I think it's going to come down to can Patrick Mahomes in his first playoff start continue the magic he had throughout the season? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question, right? Because we've seen other young upstart quarterbacks look amazing all season and then totally flop in the playoffs. <laughs> Jared Goff, but... Patrick Mahomes has been like no other. To to compare that the uh, season Jared Goff had last year to this season for Patrick Mahomes would be uh that would be absolutely insulting to Patrick Mahomes because he's been so good. So even though it's really hard to um like bet against luck right now because I agree with Brian he was definitely the best player in Wild Card Weekend, but. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, what we saw this season was unprecedented. So it, it's I mean. I could, I'm so glad we're getting to see this matchup. I think it'll definitely be a shootout, like you said, Ben. And I think that if Patrick Mahomes cannot be like Alex Smith, like last year in the playoffs, and not turn the ball over, I think uh, they have a good shot of winning this game. But like you said, I think it's going to be a total shootout. There should be probably at least 55, 60-plus points scored in this game. Yeah, the Chiefs have a terrible postseason record in not just recent history recent history for sure but even beyond recent history so it's uh it'll be interesting to see if Patrick Mahomes can turn the tides yeah and we I guess to kind of expand upon that so we know that this season Patrick Mahomes has elevated the Chiefs offense beyond what Alex Smith was ever ever capable of but you still have Andy Reid as a head coach and he still has that one in four postseason record as the Chiefs head coach, and he was only ten and nine with the Eagles, despite uh, numerous top seeds in the playoffs. So, what what's going to happen here? Is is Mahomes going to be like what Andy Reid finally needs to have success in the playoffs, or is Reid going to find a way to squander a great team and go one and done again? And I think that this is finally the Chiefs' year. That's why I predicted they would win the AFC. And I can definitely see an upset coming in this one. But I just think the Chiefs are too talented. And having that home field advantage at Arrowhead Stadium, is it's unlike uh, most, if not any other team in the NFL. So to me, a lot of stuff is definitely going in Kansas City's favor, despite how well the Colts have been playing recently. 
I think that it's just important for the Chiefs to, uh, you know, not get out of their usual game flow. Like they, the Chiefs have the talent, and they, uh, like they have. We've shown that they can execute in the past, uh, so they should be able to win this game. It shouldn't be any question. It's just they need to play their game because I, I guarantee the Colts are going to come in there and play theirs. And that Colts O-line looked really solid against a fierce D-line uh, in Houston. So I have no doubt that Andrew Luck is going to have time in the pocket. And when you give Andrew Luck time in the pocket, he's thrown at least three touchdowns. So I'm I I, I think if the Chiefs can play chief football then they'll win just on pure talent alone uh but if they you know if the stage is too big for them that could open the door up for uh for luck because you know he's gonna be playing his game and he's gonna be like patting the chiefs d lineman on the back saying like oh good hit like nice nice game you know so (laughs) (laughs) like playing that psychological game with him Corey, you talked about how i you're worried about how andy reed uh might not have the same success or or excuse me, different success as he's had in the past with Alex Smith as the quarterback. And I think a lot of that will change because of how aggressive Mahomes is and how, uh, how much of a game manager that Alex Smith was when he was in Kansas city. And like you said, Ben, and maybe, and Corey as well. Uh, I think the changes in the O line for the Colts from past years to now, how amazing it is this year is going to be a make it's going to make a huge difference in this game yeah so with that um how about we get into our predictions for this game so ben since you're in third place we'll give you the honor of making the first pick all right i am going to go bold with this one uh i say that the chiefs win it 38 to 36 uh, and they win it on a Andrew Luck game win or game tying drive that they can't convert on the two point conversion. So that is actually in- interesting because my prediction is the Chiefs win thirty eight to thirty. So I guess that in my prediction, the Colts don't get that touchdown at the end. All right, I have the Chiefs thirty one, uh, Colts twenty seven, and I have no 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 idea what the ending will be. <laughs> it won't be what <laughs> you guys are thinking, I guess. I guess it'll be a 27 to um, 24 game. The Colts are winning and Mahomes has this clutch game winning drive. Yeah, my based on my score. <laughs> my mindset is be like be specific. So um, I'm probably going to be wrong. But if I am somehow right, then I'm definitely going to take this little bit of audio and pay, like post it on my Twitter and be like, I'm a, I'm a genius. <laughs> do, do you remember? Do, do you guys remember that Georgia Auburn game where I think it was Georgia and Auburn where there was like a deep pass and all of a sudden it was tipped by the defender and all of a sudden just landed in the guy's hands for yep, the game. Yeah, it was Auburn touchdown. over Georgia. That's yep, what's going to yep. happen with Tyree Kill. So that's my prediction. <laughs> I mean, a last right. second touchdown. Nice. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's move on to the second Saturday divisional round game. And that is the two-seeded Los Angeles Rams hosting the four-seeded Dallas Cowboys at 8.15 Eastern Time on Fox. And the Cowboys are coming off a huge victory over the Seattle Seahawks in the wildcard round, the only home team to win. But now they got to go on the road and face a Rams team that down the stretch didn't look as explosive as it had early in the season but certainly a team that is capable of putting up a lot of points as we saw throughout most of the season 
I think this is really exciting to see two of the league's top running backs in the postseason going head to head. Uh, we've got obviously Todd Gurley and obviously Ezekiel Elliott. Both of those are obviously the running backs for these teams. They're part. <laughs> they're a large part of the identity of both of these teams, uh, and I think that's going to play an important part uh, because this Dallas defense is hot right now and uh, they've shown a, a propensity to be able to shut down the run. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks were one of the better rushers this season and they d- did not get it going against the Cowboys. And meanwhile, the Rams have one of the worst run defenses in the league despite having Aaron Donald and the Dominican Sioux. Uh, I was kind of blown away. I looked it up. They're 23rd in the league for run defense in the, this season. Uh, so I think that's going to play a massive role when the uh, when the Rams are forced to pass. And I'm sure that they, they do that well enough. But the Cowboys, I think, will consistently be able to rely on the run and they'll be able to lean on their defense to get the essential stops that they need. And I think that the Cowboys come away with this one. I think this is going to be like one of the lowest scoring games of the week with how good both of uh, defenses are. Well, maybe not so much L.A., given that even though they have a lot of names on their defense, um, they've been slightly underachieving this year and outside of Aaron Donald. And But the Dallas defense for sure has been pretty awesome and probably the best defense in the league outside of maybe Chicago. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how well uh, not only Zeke, but how well Amari Cooper will do uh, this weekend. Uh, even though the offense does run through Zeke, um, ever since Mari Cooper has shown up um, in Dallas, he's been the he's obviously been the difference maker to their team. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, if Dallas can pull off the upset or not. I think if Dallas does pull off the upset, it's because their run game was just too much for the Rams. Uh, and whether that's Ezekiel Elliott or even Dak Prescott running the ball himself, that's how Dallas is going to have to win. They're going to have to control the clock with the run game and just keep Jared Goff off the field. I know that the Cowboys defense is stellar, but this Rams offense at home it can be prolific. Uh, that's something that we've seen in the past couple weeks uh, against the Cardinals and the 49ers with a total of 79 points. And while those two defenses certainly are not as good as Dallas's, uh, I don't think that you can just discredit LA's offense. But as one thing that Ben did mention earlier was uh, Jared Goff certainly struggled last season uh, when the Rams were in the playoffs against the Falcons in the wildcard round. This week he gets an extra week to repair for Dallas, and I, I think it's going to be a close one, but I, I, I don't know. I, I have a tough time picking against the Rams at home in this one well, just because... So to me, it's it's a Dallas. There's a lot of lot of uncertainties uh, for them. Well, I, I in their th- offense, I think the home field advantage is one of the like the, the Rams have one of the weakest home field advantages in the whole league. I bet. Sure. Uh, and actually, I wasn't really thinking this, but I was I was doing some research on here, and another analyst pointed out that there will likely be as many, if not more, Cowboys fans in that stadium than Rams fans. Cowboys fans, much like the Niners, uh, and much like other teams that have like five plus Super Bowls travel well and the Rams uh, home fans while the Rams are definitely the more popular LA team they still aren't as popular as some of these teams that have been in their cities for decades so I think that if the Cowboys can show up they can greatly reduce that home field advantage and by Cowboys I mean Cowboys fans yeah no that is that is a good point the Rams 
don't have a great home field advantage in terms of, uh, you know, being in LA, being in a city that they they just came back to a couple years ago. Um, I think that I think this is gonna be an entertaining game. Dallas this season has not lost when they scored twenty plus, but we've also seen the Cowboys' offense struggle to put up points and uh, even putting up single digits at times. Now that hasn't necessarily been the case with Amari Cooper. Um, and how they have played in the final eight games versus the first eight games. So, as great as he's yeah. been for the Cowboys, um, a lot of all, pretty much all of his um, massive games have been at home, though. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if he can um, have that same success in LA. I uh, massive caveat because obviously I've been saying this whole time. I'm I'm very heavily favoring the Cowboys in this. I, I think that they have a chance to go in and get this upset, but here's my big here's my big butt you guys um will aaron donald show up aaron donald has been absolutely amazing uh this year and he's been pretty much amazing for the last few years obviously like everyone's known aaron donald's name for a while uh but can he put an impact on this game you know a lot of people complain that defensive players never win the mvp and aaron donald definitely made his case for mvp this year but he's definitely not going to win it. Not the same year that Mahomes is playing ball. And, and even Drew Brees, I would say, can make a case over that too. But if Aaron Donald can show up and make an absolute impact on this game, if he can be a, like the game changer that we know that he can be or that he claims to be, then I think that he could uh, put his team ahead. Um, but we'll see if he can. I was disappointed with what I saw from Aaron Donald last postseason. Uh, even though I thought I thought he played well, it wasn't like that. You know, he didn't transcend the, the nose tackle position, which we, we've seen him do a few times in the regular season. 20 and a half sacks, though, is a lot. It is. But tackle. does it matter if he can't get them in the postseason? If he can't, uh, you know, if he he has that ability, but uh, he we need to see if he can do it when it matters. No, I agree. Like being a nose tackle is it doesn't matter how good you are. You can't. It's unlikely you're going to make that much of an impact, especially in the postseason. I think Aaron Donald will be a key factor in this game, and I do expect a big game from him. Uh, A guy who almost certainly is going to win the Defensive Player of the Year and will be at least in the consideration for MVP award. Uh, Probably not the same kind of uh, consideration that J.J. Watt had a few years back, but to me, okay. I think the Rams, they, they, yeah. Well, while we're on the topic. I was just saying, they, they have a lot of playmakers on that defense, and they have a lot of playmakers on that offense. So I think somebody, you know, a couple of these guys are going to gonna come up and they're going to play well, well in this one. Well, just look, looking back very quickly at that year that J.J. Watt had, I think it was five touchdowns uh, and, like, a whole bunch of sacks, and he was defensive player of the year. Was it five touchdowns? I, yeah. I feel like. Something like something that. Like, yeah. He played tight Didn't end. Didn't he score some as, as yeah, I was just he about to say, didn't he offense. score some as a tight end? Right. So, but and yeah. he had like a really good year on defense. I'm pretty sure he won defensive player of the year that year, but it it kind of proved once and for all, it's like pretty impossible to win MVP on defense. Um, I wish that there was a better, I don't know. I've heard people say they should change it to MVQB uh, because that's the <laughs> who's going to win it. Um, but yeah, it's just disappointing because I think Aaron Donald had such a prolific season. And if there's any time that he's going to show up in the postseason, it makes the most sense that it would be right now. Um, but we'll see. 
it would make sense to change it to MV uh, QB. Yes, it would. <laughs> just because, like, like outside of I think Adrian Peterson, it's basically been quarterbacks for like the past twenty years or so. All right, so let's let's get into our predictions. I'll I'll lead this one off. Um, I do think it'll be a little low scoring, but I think the Rams score just enough points and they keep Dallas off the board late to win it twenty four to nineteen. I'll basically have the exact same score except instead of nineteen, it'll be seventeen. So I'll go Rams uh, twenty four, Cowboys seventeen. I'm picking Dallas to win twenty seven twenty four. All right, so let's move on to Sunday's divisional round matchups, starting with the two-seeded New England Patriots hosting the five-seeded Los Angeles Chargers at 1 p.m. on CBS. And Brian, this is uh, an interesting game, and I'm I'm very intrigued by what you have to say about this, because of course the Patriots are your favorite team, but you've been saying the Chargers are going to Super Bowl all season long. I'm sticking with that, yeah. So I think the Chargers can definitely upset the the Patriots. I know, I, I know that sounds crazy to say, but I think it's true. Um, I think out of all the wild card weekend matchups, the Texans, uh, Ravens, Chargers, and then I guess to throw in the Colts as well, even though there was no way they could play could play them this this week. Um, they definitely got the worst matchup out of all four teams. I think I think comparing both teams, I actually think the Chargers are not only the more talented, but I think they're they're the more balanced team as well. Um, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram are total studs. They can um, definitely get to Brady. And and even though uh, Brady's had success against the Blitz um, and getting rid of the ball quickly, can he really do that with the weapons that he has this year? With um, Even though Edelman is still there, even though James White is still there, um, not having Amendola, even though he's... Even though he basically did nothing in Miami this year, he was still, uh, in my mind, the best player of in last year's postseason for the Patriots. And now Gronk is totally washed. So it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if the Patriots can, can beat this Chargers defense. Because I think it's actually the best defense they're going to face all year. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots have looked mortal. Uh, for the f- for the first time in for a long time that I can remember, uh, and and it's it's so ridiculously hard to pick against Tom Brady, especially in the divisional round. He's twelve and two uh, historically in the divisional round. I mean that's pretty good, uh, but that's in the past. You got to look at right now, and uh, I just don't believe in this de- in this in this Patriots team in general as much. Uh, another thing is, I bet Bill Belichick's going to have some funky game plan where he's going to do something we haven't seen yet all season. I feel like that's the kind of thing you have to do to try to beat this Chargers team where it seems like the Patriots are on the less talented side uh, in this matchup. But I trust the Chargers coaching staff to be able to make the adjustments necessary to win this game. Did you guys, they played pretty much every snap of the game with safeties playing linebacker against Lamar Jackson. I know that's a very specific thing to mention, but they're not afraid to go out of their base uh, defense to adjust their opponent. And they've got talent at all levels. So I, I think that you can trust the Chargers to make the necessary adjustments. The Chargers played 98% of their defensive snaps with seven defensive backs or more. Uh, it was just an unreal number. I think the 
the league average was less than 1%. So yeah, they, they were getting creative. And that, of course, was stop Lamar Jackson, who is significantly more mobile than 41-year-old Tom Brady. But Debatable, but yeah. The key to beating <laughs> the key to beating Brady and the Patriots in the past in the playoffs has been being able to uh, get to the quarterback with the strength of the defensive line alone. We know that the Chargers have some solid defensive linemen um, on the outside with Joey Boza and Melvin Ingram. So I do think that that Chargers defense is going to harass the Patriots. And like Brian said, I don't know if they have the weapons that uh, are going to be able to get them to uh, actually put up points on this LA team. Now, the the one advantage the Patriots I could see having is if there is snow in this game. I know that was some of the early reports. It's now looking like it's just going to be 30 degrees or less and no snow. But that is an interesting thing in itself because you got a Southern California team having to play in freezing temperature, which is definitely not something that they're used to uh, throughout the season. And um, I think that the weather could certainly play a factor in this one and be a big advantage for the Patriots. Other than the weather and past postseason success for both teams, I'm trying. I'm having a hard time finding what exactly the Patriots have uh, an advantage over the Chargers. I mean, even though, um, like looking at both rosters, like I said, I think the Chargers are the more balanced and talented team. Um, so you would think, I would say, the Patriots would have the clear advantage coaching-wise, which they do, or which they do have an advantage, um, but. I'm not sure how big of an advantage it is when you have two weeks to prepare for the Eagles and um, you can't stop Zach Ertz with Devin McCourty and Patrick Chun and, and they end up winning the Super Bowl. So I don't know how much of an advantage the coaching is um, compared to the Chargers. Anthony Lynn is certainly one of the better coaches in the league. Uh, I I do think that you still have to give the Patriots an edge. No, they definitely the have game, yeah, they but... definitely have the edge in coaching. I'm just saying I don't think it's a huge edge. No, and that that is a good sentiment because last season in the Super Bowl there were certainly some questions for Bill Belichick and uh what he did, Benjamin and and Butler. Yeah, and not the, the and starting Eric Rowe two minutes before the game started and putting him on Elshon Jeffrey, which he got destroyed in the first half. Yep. Yeah. Which was not fun to watch at all. <laughs> It still amazes it, it still amazes me to this day that Eric Rowe was put on Julio Jones in the in the Super Bowl the year prior and they end up winning that game still. Don't know how. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh just an interesting fact. Uh so this is actually the first time that the Patriots are playing a one o'clock playoff game since two thousand nine. And that was the year that they lost to the Ravens at home thirty three to fourteen. I uh, just really weren't in that game at all. And of course, the 2009 Patriots team is probably the worst of the Tom Brady era when Tom Brady was healthy, um, at least based on the actual success that they had. And they've had a bye week ever since. Usually they're playing Saturday night games, uh, whether it's 4.30 p.m. or even 8 p.m. So I don't know if that's going to play a factor, having this being an early game, less time to tailgate, less time for those Patriots fans to get rowdy in that stadium. And I know that's something that Tom Brady has acknowledged in the past, but we'll see if that that at all plays a factor, uh, not having that that cold New England night advantage for them. So uh, I think Even we're ready though, to... Yeah, yeah. yeah no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. No, no. I was no, going to say, we're, we're ready for predictions, but if you have something yeah. you want to add. 
No, I, I guess I'll go first with this prediction. I'll I'll take the Chargers twenty four, Patriots twenty three. I think uh, the Chargers can absolutely win this game, and the, outside of that one loss to the Rams, they're they've been undefeated on the road. So basically, they've been undefeated this year outside of Los Los Angeles, and uh, and the Patriots have been undefeated at home this year. So it's I gotta wonder like which one is gonna. Which one's going to fall? Yeah, some, someone's got to give. Um, I, I also like the Chargers in this one, 21-17. Uh, to 17. The Patriots offense looked great against the Jets, especially Tom Brady, but that was a team that had nothing, didn't, didn't even want to play knowing that their coach was going to be fired. And I think that uh, we're going to see more of what Brady did against the, the Steelers and the Bills and uh, struggling to move the ball, struggling to score, and that'll be enough for Phillip Rivers to pull out this victory. I think the uh, Patriots are going to do just fine on offense, but the Chargers are going to be that much better. I'm taking the Chargers to win 31-28. to Man, I thought I was going to have the hottest take, but all, um, but all three of us are taking the Chargers. What's up with that? Come on. Uh, yeah, I get right. to have one hot take, and it gets blown by you guys. <laughs> still two more games. You can still keep it hot. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then the, the final game of the divisional round weekend, we have the top-seeded New Orleans Saints hosting the six-seeded defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles at 440 on Fox. And all three of us said that the Eagles would lose last week, yet here they are going into New Orleans. And I'm starting to hate Nick, Nick Foles, Foles man. have any magic left? <laughs> like, I can't he- stand <laughs> I can't stand this guy. <laughs> He's the worst. No, but... <laughs> so No, in all seriousness, I think... Um, I still take the Saints in this game. Well, I know it's an early prediction, but um, I think the Eagles can make it a much closer game than what they did in the regular season when they lost 48-7. to uh, They've won, I think, pretty much every game with Nick Foles at, at QB this year outside of that Tampa game, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, that was the only and, loss. And they definitely are riding the momentum. And outside of Andrew Luck, I think Nick Foles, um, he was the best. He was probably the arguably the best player Um this past weekend and by far the most impressive win to go into um to that stadium and that environment and um coming out slightly uh from victory um from losing uh if it wasn't for their stupid kicker uh they would have lost but you know it's still impressive the way they won that game especially um with uh golden tate as well catching that late touchdown yeah i think the eagles are riled up after that magic win that was a memorable one but uh so so i think they're gonna come out there and play some inspired football but that doesn't change that the saints just are com- a completely better football team um like again the i i really doubted the eagles secondary uh going into last weekend and they they played better than i expected but the those players are still very young and uh drew Brees is very old so i think drew Brees is going to absolutely tear this secondary to shreds uh and keep the saints ahead all like for the whole game not to mention alvin Kamara. like come on like that's uh 
he he's I don't know Alan Kamara is so good and uh, I feel like we've heard less about him this year but still everyone knows Alvin Kamara can ball out and I think he'll he'll do fine in this game um, but yeah I think that the the Saints will be able to get ahead but I'm also not counting out uh, Saint Nick's uh, ability to pull off another miracle and get the ball moving against that Saints defense it's gonna be up to Drew Brees to keep his team ahead keep scoring points. If you could just take my opinion, if you can just take my opinion from last week and then just install it into this this one, that would be great. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like you said, yeah, Ben. I, oh no, go ahead, Corey. You no, know, I was just gonna say, like I, I agree with the the whole Drew Brees against this Eagles defense. He's certainly better than Mitchell Trubisky in that Bears offense, and I think that Chicago did a lot to really shoot themselves in the foot. It really should not have come down to a Cody Parkey kick. I don't think that the Saints are going to make the same kind of mistakes and have the same kind of struggles. So to me, I don't think it's going to be 48 to 7, but I don't particularly see this game being all that close, despite how uh, Nick Foles has been able to play in in recent times. Uh, I, I just think that the Saints offense is going to be too much for that Eagles defense, and they're going to make enough plays to harass Foles, and they're going to come away with a comfortable victory. The combination of the Saints playmakers versus uh, the Eagles secondary, even though it did play for play well for three quarters of that uh, Bears game, I still think is a huge mismatch. Like you said, Ben, with Alvin Kamara and, and Mark Ingram leading their backfield and Michael Thomas, of course. And uh, let's not forget Traquan Smith as well. He had um, he hasn't done anything uh, for a while, but his la- but his one huge game this year came against the same secondary. So I expect him to have a big game as well. And uh, what's his name? Ted Ginn Jr. is healthy and back, and he's got speed. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Saints have way too many weapons, and the Eagles' secondary is way too uh, untalented. Or just They lack the presence that it would take to stop a, uh, a behemoth that uh, like the Saints' offense. So I think the Saints will comfortably stay ahead of that defense. If so, they be, if uh, they, one thing if I they, do want to, oh yeah, no, go ahead again. I was just say one thing I want to, I want to discuss because it sounds like we're all very much on the Saints. Um, but in the event that the Eagles win this game, I don't think they have a choice but to move forward with Nick Foles. And honestly, they need to trade Carson Wentz because regardless of whether or not Wentz is a better quarterback than Nick Foles. The way that the Eagles have been playing with Foles compared to Carson Wentz since Wentz's uh, torn ACL last season has been it's been unfathomable, and I think they just got to keep riding it. And I don't think they're going to win this game. I don't think that Foles is going to convince the Eagles that uh, they do need to just abandon ship with Wentz and roll with him moving forward, but. If he if he surprises me again, I'm fully going to be on the Nick Foles as the Eagles quarterback in 2019 and beyond bandwagon. I I'm not quite on that yet. Let's see him win another Super Bowl first. But uh, Nick Foles is only 29 years old, so he could be the future of this team if he keeps playing like Saint Nick. I don't think he even needs to win another Super Bowl because you know, Carson Wentz. And Nick Foles this season, you know, last season Wentz was an MVP before he got hurt. But if you just look at this season and the way that that team was totally done, we all wrote them off when they got blown out by the Saints. And then they're six and seven. It was like, all right, Wentz is hurt. They're done. And then I have Foles 
go in and win three straight games, two of them over playoff teams and the Saints and the Rams, and then to just totally embarrass the Washington Redskins, who until that week were a playoff contender. Uh, then to go into Soldier Field against that Bears defense and do just enough to win. If he can go into New Orleans of all places and win, I think that's that's all you need to know, regardless of what he does in the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl. Fair enough. So, but I I also contend that if he can win here, I think he can get to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. If the Eagles and Patriots make the AFC and NFC Championship game, the NFC Championship game is first this year. If the Eagles win, if they if the Eagles beat the Saints and win the NFC Championship game, and the Patriots are in the AFC Championship game versus the Chiefs, I'm I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I can't <laughs> I can't deal with another Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be scared scared to death that entire game. I'm gonna be like Dwight from uh from Dodgeball, like during sudden death when he's holding his <laughs> he's watching the game like this, like this with his hands over his, in front of his face. Another <laughs> great dodgeball reference on the podcast. I love it. Actually, it something I saw this afternoon, like right before I uh, while I was like finishing up my notes for the podcast, and it was what Sean Payton did. You guys hear what he did today? The uh, I did the stunt I did. he pulled in the same yeah. Yeah. I, I'll uh, I'll read it for our listeners. Sean Payton entered the Saints locker room with four guards and the Lombardi Trophy on top of two hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars in cash, uh, which is what the players get as a bonus for winning the Super Bowl. And he said, "Y'all want this? Win three bleeping games. Love it. That's incentive right there. Great coaching strategy. I'm glad. The thing is, I'm glad that this was the." Uh, the stunt he pulled, which is like just extra motivation because I can't remember if it was Sean Payton. It was somebody in the saints organization during his tenure who remember they recorded uh, him, the bounty gate where the guy was like, I'm paying you this much for like breaking this guy's leg and like this much for like, like they're literally putting bounties on players on the other team and encouraging their players to hurt them, uh, which is one way to motivate your team. But I, I would say that this, what Sean Payton did today is a lot more effective. It's definitely a, a funnier and uh, more likable approach. <laughs> all right, so let's get to picks. I think I know where we're all going in this one. Ben, why don't you start us off? Yes, I think the Saints win this one comfortably, and I'm picking 35 to 25, and I'm doing 25 so I can get the points on either side of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to – well, Ben and I basically have the same prediction. I'm going Eagles 38 uh, or excuse me, excuse me. Let me rephrase <laughs> that again. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's rephrase that again. Saints thirty-eight, Eagles twenty-eight. All right, I'm going Saints thirty-five to seventeen. I think it's going to be an extra touchdown than you guys. So we have our divisional round picks ready to go. We'll see if Brian is still on top next week, or if one of Ben and I pull off a little bit of comeback so let's move on to our next segment and that is the quick hitter and we will be talking about clemson's blowout victory in the national championship game over alabama 44 to 16 and i don't really know (laughs) what to say about that because i felt pretty confident that alabama would win in a close one And that was very devastating as a Gamecock fan. And I'm sure that Ben feels even worse than I do as someone who grew up in Clemson country in South Carolina. 
so one of my favorite things about living in Oklahoma City is that it's very sunny, over 300 days of sun every year. Um, the weather's very predictable. Uh, generally, we have the same temperature for long periods of time. In the winter, it's consistently cold. In the summer, it's consistently warm. Um, and those are usually the things that I tell people I like the most about living here. But I'm adding to that that I'm far away from upstate South Carolina because, good God, those people are going to be insufferable from here on out. You think one natty was bad? Now they've got two, and they're not slowing down. They're already they're ready to, to reload and head back next year. And Alabama looks mortal against them. We, I, I've, I hate when Clemson fans say, oh, you like Gamecock fans are all Alabama fans. It's like, no, we're not. We're fans of anyone who's playing Clemson. It, Alabama has been the one who's gar- saved us for the, <laughs> uh, the uh, two times, but they've now they've given up two. I hate them almost as much as I hate Clemson. It's absolutely agonizing being a Gamecocks fan. If you were, a, uh, let's look at it from a Clemson fan's perspective. This year could not have gone better. It absolutely couldn't have gone better because the Gamecocks d- consistently disappointed. We weren't the worst team in the SEC. We even had some decent wins, I would say. But we disappointed enough so that what we did this year is mediocre at best and a big disappointment at worst. Even our bowl game. We're like, yeah, at least we're going bowling. You know, that's a successful season. We couldn't even put any points up. We might as well have not shown up because we would have put up just as many points. Okay? So we're atrocious. And then these guys have the gall to go undefeated. And not only do they go undefeated, they go to the college football playoffs again. The college football playoffs are synonymous with Clemson at this point. And they destroy their opponents by huge margins. So they're not even worried about losing for a, like any, any point in time. The, every second of the postseason this year for Clemson has been nothing but ecstasy. Which That concludes Ben's <laughs> therapy session. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> I, this one this one might have broken me, guys. Like I I, I I don't even I can't even put up any opposition against the football organization that Clemson is. This feels exactly like when the Seahawks came to power. We're like Russell Wilson's amazing. Pete Carroll's a great coach. Their defense is unstoppable. And meanwhile, the, the the 49ers go from being a contender to crashing and, and like remaining at the bottom of the league. I know you're not supposed to let sports determine your uh, your your emotions, your feelings, but at some point it 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 all snowballs and just crushes your soul. So I don't want to talk about how yeah. anything specific about this game. <laughs> All I know is how it made me feel. As a Steelers fan who grew up in New England, I can definitely relate with that. Um, seeing the Patriots have so much success. And lucky for me, their last few Super Bowls, I was living in South Carolina. So all I dealt with was Patriots fans on social media and not just in person. But yeah, it it's just it's one of those games where, you know, we we can't as South Carolina fans, there's, there's not really much we can say to Clemson fans. We haven't really shown a whole lot of reason to think that we are better than them in any way. And 
to have them go and destroy an Alabama team that people were crowning national champions for most of the season, it, it's just crushing. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have the, the same kind of sentiment feeling because uh, I don't, lucky for me, I, I don't deal with Clemson fans. I, I don't have friends who went to school there like Ben does, but it's, I don't know. So I, I guess, Brian, what's your take on this as a, a totally unbiased, uh, not even that big of a college football fan? I guess one my, my one thought is Ben sounded like me when after watching the 03 ALCS he had, uh, Yankees Red Sox series when Grady Lil blew it in game seven, leaving Pedro in for the eighth inning. And then me just going on a rant the next day at school with all my friends. Yeah, and, and that's actually, that is the one thing that I do find solace in is I'm not alone. I'm not the only Gamecocks fan. I know a lot of people uh, that I think are, you know, prominent people who are Gamecocks fans and they're suffering through the same fate as me. So I'm not alone in my agony. I can even share it with Corey. And years from now, uh, in therapy, I'll talk about this and maybe I'll laugh about it. Uh, But right now, it's it's absolutely terrible. So yeah, I can't share the same pain as a college football fan since I don't have the same interests as you guys in college football or or hatred for Clemson. But I can definitely share the same pain for like other Boston teams, like I mentioned with the Red Sox in 03 versus the Yankees when they lost in Game 7. Uh, I can share that same pain when the Bruins give up two goals in 17 seconds to blow to blow it in the Stanley Cup versus Chicago. I can share that same pain uh, for... Well, Corey can't share the same pain, but um, for the Patriots' Super Bowl losses throughout the years. And also, as, also the Celtics losing in Game 7 versus the Lakers when they did not have Kendrick Perkins in the lineup and had old man Rasheed Wallace starting at center. So I can share the same pain in other sports. I've seen a lot of my teams win championships in my now 15 years as a legitimate sports fan, and I've also seen my top rivals win just as many. So I've certainly had the highs and lows. Uh, But... I guess just to kind of give some kind of talk about the game itself, Trevor Lawrence totally didn't even play, like seem like he played that amazing. I think he had a lot of help from the playmakers around him. The kid's only 19 years old. He threw for 347 yards and three touchdown passes in the national championship game. While Tua Tagovailoa, who was a Heisman candidate, the guy who everyone is saying number one overall pick in the draft next year, doesn't play well at all. You know, he threw for some yards, but he got picked off twice. He had a 21.5 QBR and it's Clemson is going to be very good for years to come and Alabama is not going to go anywhere. And there's a good chance we're going to see these same two teams in the playoffs next year. And I, I don't know. Uh, I think that uh, both of these quarterbacks are going to be uh, big names heading into next season. I think that the the Clemson defense, while they're going to lose a lot of their, their talent, including their entire defensive line, they're going to be bringing in guys that are going to step up and be just as dominant next year. So I, I just hope that uh, Ryan Holinsky is a savior for the South Carolina Gamecocks when, whenever it's his turn to play because right now college football isn't all that fun for me. Agreed. And, and, you know, the Gamecocks, 
there's definitely room to go up. I, I mean, r- having Ryan Kalinsky join the program, I mean, that's that's fine. Like we can still be, we, we can still. <laughs> it doesn't just because Clemson never loses doesn't mean that the Gamecocks have to always lose, right? Uh, but I think we're just gonna have to come to the terms. Like I, I feel like uh, Auburn fans can probably identify with us a lot uh, because it's like we're the other team in the state. You know, it's just. There's At least Auburn has a national championship in the last decade. In, yeah, 2010, yeah. Uh, which, yeah, again, I mean, they've got it better than us, but <laughs> they, I think that they know how it feels having their rival. Like, Alabama definitely has more natties than uh, Clemson, uh, for now at least. But, all right, I'm, d- I'm sure. done talking about this, dude. Congratulations, Clemson Tigers. I mean, I can't say anything bad about them. They, they, did, they looked amazing, so, you know, good for them. All right, so let's let's move on to our next segment, and this is a new one that we're introducing, and that is called Goodbye, Old Friend. So this is a segment where uh, we'll be talking about sports figures, athletes uh, who have been released, traded, fired, even retired. It can be positive or negative, and in our debut segment, it's going to be negative because we are talking about now, former Minnesota Timberwolves head coach and team president Tom Thibodeau, who was fired by the team on Sunday. And Thibodeau had a lot of success early on with the Chicago Bulls, but as soon as Derrick Rose suffered all his injuries, there's been a lot of questions about him as a coach and overplaying players. And now you got to wonder what's next for this guy. He was very successful with the Celtics as, you know, as the assistant with Doc. But yeah, as a head coach, he just he just overplays his guys way too many minutes and in the regular season as well. Like I, when I every time I look at the box score for the Timberwolves, I I've always seen Wiggins and Towns. And when Jimmy Butler was there getting like, you know, almost basically averaging like 38 plus minutes every single game, even in games where the, the game is already in hand, whether they're winning or losing, it's just. That's definitely one of my biggest critiques for Thibodeau. And um, I think some of the blame has to go to Jimmy Butler a little bit for, you know, ruining the confidence of Towns and Wiggins a little bit. But yes, um, I, but I think Thibodeau, you know, running these guys into the ground in meaningless games is is a huge part of it as well. See, I'm not sure if he's his cousin or if he's his nephew. Um, but Tom Thibodeau is definitely related to Doug Dimidome. There's no way that's just a coincidence. <laughs> I thought that was just me who always says that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. I, I did some research so, here. Apparently, this was kind of out of the blue. Um, but I, Yeah, he didn't expect it. It actually came after they beat the Lakers by 20 points. And that's my main theory, is that somebody inside the Wolves organization had some big money riding on this game, and they didn't expect uh, uh, Tom Thibodeau to pull this one out. And they lost big, and they said, that's the last straw, Timidome. <laughs> so, so, Ben, are you saying that Tom Thibodeau has blubber nuggets in his refrigerator, or are you saying that they should go get... <laughs> Uh, Timmy Turner off free agency and wish them to a championship this year. <laughs> Cosmo and Wanda, dude, they can transform into like eight foot tall uh, centers. Yeah, dude, they, the- they, they could be the new monsters. Yeah. <laughs> uh. 
Yeah, so I actually went to the Celtics Timberwolves game last week, and during the game, I it felt like the Timberwolves had their starters in the whole time. I was like, there have been like two subs that go into this game. I'm actually looking at the box score now. I hadn't looked at it yet. Andrew Wiggins played 43 minutes. Tyus Jones played 40. Carl Anthony Towns played 37. They only had basically a seven-man rotation. Gorgie Jang played 11 off the bench. They had a few other guys come in late when the game was out of hand in the final minutes. But yeah, Thibodeau just leaving all these guys in. It was a 13-point game, and Andrew Wiggins only sat for five minutes. Uh, it, I think that that's the kind of strategy that maybe could work on teams that just have that potential superstar player you're hoping to get the most out of. Like, uh, I don't really know... I don't want to start throwing out teams because the first name that came to mind right now would be with like Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, but the Hawks just fired or hired a new head coach. So I don't think that Thibodeau is going to end up there, but that that's to me seems like the kind of environment that could maybe suit him. But then that's not a long-term solution because you're going to end up just running some of these guys on the ground. And I think that the timing of this was very interesting because they did just trade Jimmy Butler and you have to wonder, you know, I know the the owner, Glenn Taylor, was all about trading Butler, but where, was the discussion that you know, maybe we bring in a new coach and see if that changes things? And that when Butler is gone, why why is Thibodeau following him so quickly? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I can tell you one thing. Jimmy Butler, wherever he goes, it seems like everything, uh, it, he blames the coach for everything. And it uh, it seems like the trend is that Jimmy Butler is just a selfish player, in my opinion. I mean, he had he had problems with uh, Fred Hoiberg in Chicago, then uh, Thibodeau or Digadon or whatever <laughs> his name was in, in Fairly Odd Parents, and then and now he's having problems with uh, with the Philly coach as well, and saying that the offense should run through him. Of course, shocker. Yeah, I definitely think that Butler shoulders some of the blame for what's gone on with Minnesota this season. They're currently in 11th place in the West, a game below 500. I didn't think they were a playoff team entering the season. I, I certainly don't feel like they're going to turn things around in a loaded Western Conference. And now the <laughs> I think it's awesome, <laughs> hilarious how now all of a sudden Minnesota's number one coaching candidate is Fred Hoiberg, the guy who replaced Thibodeau in Chicago. <laughs> uh, and I I don't know why, why Hoiberg would prefer to stay in the NBA than go back to college where he had so much success with Iowa State. But it seems like there's a very good chance that he'll end up taking over the Timberwolves head coaching job, uh, whether that's this season or uh, at the conclusion in April. So It'll be interesting to see what happens with Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns, still a superstar. Andrew Wiggins has has his moments for sure, but uh, the Timberwolves definitely got to experience that high of making the playoffs last season for the first time in 14 years, and now there's some questions about where they're going to be going forward. One, one thing I want to bring up, um, with, with Butler now gone and Thibodeau gone, and now that's basically just Towns and Wiggins there, what are the chances that Towns... Um, Whenever his contract comes up, like he he leaves and goes to hopefully maybe the Celtics. I could certainly see that happening. I mean, because he's probably in my mind uh, after Anthony Davis, the the next top top big man to get in for the Celtics if they want to win a championship versus especially versus the Warriors. I think Minnesota would be crazy to 
let him escape their grasp while they have him. But uh, that, that's certainly something that is going to come up if Minnesota continues to struggle and there's a thought that they could get a lot of value for him in a trade. No, like I agree with that as well. All right. So Tom Thibodeau fired as the Minnesota Timberwolves head coach. To you, we say goodbye, old friend. All right. Now let's move on to our next segment. And Ben, how about you introduce this one to us? Uh, yeah. All right. So last week, Christian Pulisic announced that he will be taking his talents. No, what's to... the name? Oh, <laughs> Elo Haecho. Or do you want? Should I translate it or let people use Google? I think you can translate it. It means he has done it in Spanish. And Corey told me that Corey came up with this uh, genius segment title because uh, we're going to be using it for our international sports news. And if you haven't figured it out by now, based on how I butchered this opening, um, we're talking about Christian Pulisic because last week uh, he announced that he'll be taking his talents to (laughs) South West London and joining Chelsea Football Club at the end of this season. So he'll finish the season uh, in the Bundesliga, but then he'll head to the most important league, the Premier League, and play for one of the best clubs in Chelsea. Uh, And this is pretty awesome. Uh, I think having a prominent American play for a prominent team in the Premier League is um, definitely uncommon. And if you look historically, there really haven't been that many guys that have played for the big clubs. There's been a lot of guys who have you know, had their time with smaller clubs uh, or even brief stints with the bigger clubs. But Christian Pulisic has a chance to be a really big contributor with Chelsea. So the reason he's not needed in the Bundesliga anymore is because uh, uh, Jaden Sancho, uh, Jadon Sancho, uh, is another young, hot player, and he's kind of uh, made... Christian Pulisic expendable, uh, but that doesn't mean that Christian Pulisic isn't still good. Christian Pulisic demanded a pretty big transfer fee. I think it was seventy million uh, for his services. Uh, so they'll be making a profit off of this sale, and then he's going to join a Chelsea side that's aging uh, that needs to find young talent at the wing position. Uh, plus, on top of all that, Eden Hazard, the the face of Chelsea right now, one of the best players in the Premier League this season, uh, has talked about how he always dreamed, he's always dreamed of playing uh, football in Spain, where he believes like true legends are made. So he's talked about playing for Real Madrid and not saying that Pulisic is necessarily as good as Hazard, but he's, you know, he, he has definitely not reached his ceiling of talent yet. Uh, and Chelsea, I think, make a savvy move here to bring the young American in and to, uh, you know, start rejuvenating this team, start making this team a little bit younger. So just to kind of uh, catch up our non-soccer fan audience, Christian Pulisic is a 20-year-old American middle attack, attacking midfielder and winger. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, so at 16 years old, he was signed to Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga, which is the top football league in Germany, uh, one of the best in the world. And uh, last week he was announced to have been given a transfer fee to go to Chelsea and uh, 
64 million euros, which is 73 million US dollars or 58 million pounds. And Pulisic is the future of American soccer. There's no other way to put it. He has, uh, looks like he can be a great star. And there have certainly been plenty of names like Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey. You can even throw back Freddie Adu as one of the young guys who was supposed to be the real deal. And to me, Pulisic is, he is what is going to make American soccer great if it ever happens. Is that fair assessment, Ben? It's the only one you can see in the, in the foreseeable future. Um, but he, yeah, he's been amazing and he's been consistently amazing. And even though the team had, was outrageously disappointing and not making the world cup and he was on that team, uh, he was still one of the brightest, like brightest players on that team. So, um, I think this is good for American culture as far as like the way we view soccer, because I foresee Pulisic being a big name in the premier league and hopefully getting more Americans to say, Hey, why don't we do that stuff? His his future is certainly bright, and uh, as someone who comes at this as just a fan of soccer during the World Cup primarily, uh, I'm certainly excited that Pulisic is having this, uh, you know, being able to play in the English Premier League at 20 years old tells me that he is someone who can uh, be a star for years to come. Oh, yeah. Well, so, his, his um, I mean, oh, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to ask you since... You know, I don't really know much about soccer, but so I was going to ask you, like, how big of an impact can this guy make? Can he have a bigger impact than Landon Donovan or Josie Altidore? Or I hopefully, hopefully he could have a bigger impact than Freddie Adu, though. Yeah, well, (laughs) um, I think, yeah, I think his ceiling could potentially be the highest we've ever seen from an American player. Uh, Obviously, that's not a guarantee, but he's pretty prolific and he's and it looks based on how much they paid for him that Chelsea planned to make him an integral part of their team moving forward so I uh and especially because Chelsea is such a well-run organization I foresee success in this football club's future which means we're going to be seeing Christian Pulisic play on some of the world's biggest stages for football European competitions where you might see Pulisic versus I don't know. Ronaldo's getting kind of old, but you could see Pulisic versus Ronaldo in a Champions League game. You know, that's a possibility now. I mean, that was also a possibility from the Bundesliga, but the difference between the Bundesliga and the Premier League is the uh, how watchable it is for Americans. I don't know that many Americans that regularly tune in to watch Ant- Hamburger SV versus uh, Borussia Dortmund, you know, but I know plenty of uh, Americans who wake up early to watch their Premier League games. Uh, I'm, I mean, you, I mean, I know plenty of people who are fans of the, like the top six clubs. I myself am a Crystal Palace fan and a big one at that. But I'm still going to be rooting for the Blues once my man Pulisic joins because I think that he is an important part of promoting soccer culture in the States. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this guy uh, in the biggest stage in uh, Premier League soccer? Because like I know uh, Donovan was with the Galaxy for all those years and Clint Dempsey, I think he was with this. He was with the Revolution for some years and the Seattle uh, Sounders, and a li- he had some he had some sort of a career in Europe. And I think Tim Howard was in Everton. Correct me. He if was. I'm wrong, he was on, on Everton. Um, I mean, the I think that if you want to just go for uh, how many like viewership alone, then you, you, like the Premier League is going to get you that. Uh, no matter who you're playing for, like that, there's more Americans watch the Premier League. Um, like Real Madrid and Barcelona, that matchup regularly draws more viewers than 
any other sporting competition. Like it even dwarfs the Super Bowl. Um, but that's those teams are very top, or those leagues are very top heavy. Germany, Spain, um, the French leagues very top heavy. The Premier League is very watchable because it's a little bit more parity. Um, and the fact that he's on one of the best teams. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Chelsea won a championship of their own. Um, you, we could see Pulisic become like a legend. There's that. There's a chance that he comes out of this with multiple. Uh, pieces of silverware that he could say that he was a part of bringing to Southwest London. So there's a, there's so much potential here. I'm so excited to see, uh, what it, what it comes out to being. And I'm so excited for Americans to pay attention. And, you know, we're all at this point, we're all kind of Chelsea fans if, if we want to root for Pulisic. So hopefully they, uh, have some success and, uh, people can say, Hey, maybe more Americans should focus on that. Yeah, I'll admit I'm just like everyone else when it comes to soccer. I really don't watch much at all until the World Cup starts. And even then, like I don't watch if the U.S. aren't even getting out of the group stage and barely making it out of the first the first round or even and, qualifying at all. Yeah, yeah, or just even yeah, just even doing anything. Yeah. yeah. Um. So if this if Polisic if he can make um U.S. rise to the to the top and get closer to the finals then or the World Cup final, then I would definitely tune in more than I would, you know, compared to an average sports fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not a huge fan of the English Premier League. If I had to pick a team, it would be Manchester City. Uh, and while I, I don't necessarily want to just jump ship to Chelsea, it would be cool to see Pulisic shine on the European stage and bring... Uh, a more popularity to soccer in America and uh, maybe maybe make us uh, one of those powerhouses just like some of those other European countries. So let's move on to our final segment and that is the top five. So earlier this week we had America's Got Talent, the championship, the champions debut. So it's basically America's Got Talent all-stars, uh, not Everyone competing actually won the show, but there are a lot of fan favorites, a lot of people who came close, a lot of a lot of fun acts in the past. And we also had The Bachelor kick off its 23rd season. Colton Underwood, the new Bachelor, former NFL player, um, practice squad and offseason member only for the Chargers, Eagles, and Raiders, but still a former NFL player. So um, because of those two shows, we will count down our favorite reality TV shows of all time in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So I think I'm probably the biggest reality TV show fan in this and that I've, I've watched more than you guys. So I'm going to let one of you ben go first, me go start second, us off. Corey, you can go last. Yeah. I agree with that order because I think that I I'm not sure about Brian because we haven't talked about reality TV show together, but I, I I'd wager that I've probably watched the least reality TV of this group. We'll I, I don't really know. I know I've watched less than Corey, but I have watched some. I think if you're just an American uh, growing up in the age of cable television or just even brought normal national broadcasts, you're going to watch some of it uh, because there are events of revolutionary shows. So I'll start with Shark Tank. I put this one as my number five because I haven't really watched that much of it, but I do enjoy the concept. Um, it's big money. That's the big. That's the first thing that draws you. It's very big money. You've got these millionaires who are there, put you know, deciding how much they want to invest in these 
ideas that are at least supposed to be novel and they and you get to decide if it is so uh it's big money they try to come up with the next big thing and there's like they try to cultivate some drama it's like ooh, is he gonna do it or not and they have of course the quippy catchphrase i'm out you know so i like all that uh but i haven't watched that much of it that's why it's my number five Moving forward, Pawn Stars. And I just want to, I have two uh, little quotes for you. So I'll start with the first one. I'm Rick Harrison, and this is my pawn shop. I work here with my old man and my son, Big Hoss. And in 23 years, I've learned one thing. You never know what is going to come through that door. And then follow that up with (laughs) a similar but different quote. I'm Harambe, and this is my zoo. I live here with my loving fans and my zookeeper, Big Shot. And in 17 years, I've learned one thing. You never know what's going to fall in that pit. Um, (laughs) This show for me now lives on in perpetuity in its memes. Uh, I still think that the like... I can only give you like 25 cents or, um, you know, re changing the, uh, Rick Harrison copy pasta is, uh, is still hilarious. Even those are old memes. I think that they're, they're ageless. Uh, but also the show is just like a better version of antiques Roadshow. Um, uh, if you've ever seen that show on PBS, it's just people bringing in their interesting stuff. You, and everyone's interested in how much it's worth, but this show adds a little bit more to it because you have the, the haggling, the negotiation, uh, and people who potentially walk away. So there's a lot of drama. Reality shows are all about drama. And I think it's well executed in this show. Uh, moving forward, you can't say uh, reality TV without including American Idol. Uh, and then this is another show that it was super popular, especially from the beginning. Do you guys remember the guy who won the first season was in the Scooby-Doo movie? Seriously? <laughs> he was. He was in like the closing. It might have been the second movie, but he was like, he sang. Wait, in the, so wait uh, which in, like, one? The credits sequence. Was it, it was Ruben, the, uh, Ruben really, Stutter? Like, the, like, the fat black yeah, guy. Yeah, Ruben. Yeah. I was looking at back at some of the like the winners, and I, there are some names I recognize, but I do not personally listen to any of their music, which actually leads me to uh, the season that I watched religiously, because in sixth grade, I was in chorus class, and uh, my teacher would give us extra credit if we watched American Idol, and then we could answer a quiz about it in class, so I watched it religiously uh, for the, the sixth season, which was the one that happened while i was in sixth grade and that was a season with sanjaya malakar do you guys remember him ah uh, yeah he was yeah i did not like him <laughs> he was the controversial uh actually i think the first like sanjaya type on american idol was uh, the william hung guy who uh <laughs> like she william bangs, hung, yes. she, uh, yeah. <laughs> she moves yeah <laughs> You know, it's like someone who was so terrible, but because of the way they did it, they were super popular on American Idol. Sinjaya, I, I don't know if there's another one beneath b- before him, but he was definitely that kind of contestant. And he controversially finished in seventh place uh, because they took the public's votes. So even though the judges every week were like, oh, I'm so, like, you're so bad. Like, it's a no from me, dog. <laughs> like, you're bloody rubbish. And the other girl would, Paul Abdul would say something in a higher pitched voice. And, he would stay on the show because America loved him. Uh, he only made it to seventh, but I mean, I shouldn't say only he made it to seventh, which is a testament to his likability, at least for the American public at large. 
Ultimately, Jordan Sparks took away the win, and I took away a memorable experience. I have to give it to American Idol Season 6. I had a good time. Uh, and it also was something I watched with my mom and my sister, so it was kind of like a family bonding thing. Uh, so I, I liked that, even though I got really tired of American Idol by like the 15th season or whatever. So, And I don't think that the new... Eh, you know what? I'll stick to American Idol. I, uh, I liked that one season and that season alone. Uh, moving on to my number two... Rob and Big. Have yes. you guys heard of this show, Rob and Big? <laughs> Brian's a real one. I knew you'd know it. Corey? It sounds somewhat familiar. Do you know who? But okay, I, I don't well, think I've watched it. Rob, uh, it. It only had three seasons. And uh, it's Rob Deerdeck, who now does uh, Rob Deerdeck's Fantasy Factory, uh, which I'm not sure if they make anymore, but that went on longer and it was after Robin Big. And also he does Ridiculousness, which is just like one of those internet clip yeah. shows. Anyways, before all that, there was a show Robin Big. And Rob Deerdeck is a was a professional skateboarder and his uh he was best friends with his personal bodyguard, Christopher Big Black Boykin. Uh, and they used to call him Big Black. And he was, I think Big Black was also the name of his bodyguard company. And they had these shirts that had two B's that are back to back, like one backwards B. And it, it was like Big Black Security. And they just used to do cool stuff together. Like Rob would go skateboard in a place where he's not supposed to be and a security guard would try to stop him. And then Big would like push him and then they'd like run away. And they would just do hooligan stuff. Like they they made a rap music video one time and they bought a, a mini horse that they let stay in the house. And they just did crazy stuff because they had money and they were best friends. And it was just, it was classic reality television, which is basically television about nothing. And I really enjoyed it. I unironically really liked that show. Um, so it had, at the time I was into skateboarding and I just thought they were funny and, uh, good guys. So, um, I, I wasn't as big a fan of fantasy factory. So that's why I went with Robin big. Those three seasons are pretty good. And yes. And to bring it, bring it home here. My number one, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, uh, which might sound like a odd inclusion, uh, but I think it, it's fitting because this is this one was a Sunday night ritual at the Carlson household for a long time. Ty Pennington, the man himself, would surprise a family in need somewhere, tell them you're going on vacation, and then they would okay so that's already cool because they're going on a cool vacation you get to see whatever they do there but then you get to watch them destroy a house destruction is cool and then you watch them build it in seven days and my dad the whole time would be like can't do it you can't build a house in seven these houses are terrible but they would look awesome they'd have themes in the rooms and they call the kids while they're on vacation ask them questions about what they like and stuff uh and they all got they got the whole thing done and i think it was an hour the show was about an hour long um but it was suspenseful because they're always like, oh, no, we're behind schedule. We didn't buy enough nails. Like it was just uh, it had the drama that I think that's been consistent through all my choices here. They had the drama there um, and they had like their own catchphrases like uh, move that bus. And also he would tie Penny to start the show by saying, hello, so and so family with through a megaphone. So, you know, very quotable and best of all. It had lots and lots of Sears product placement, uh, which has kept Sears seared into my brain for years and years uh, since then. So I really enjoyed that show, and that's why it's number one on my list of reality TV shows. I honestly thought your number one was a <laughs> joke. 
I did not expect that kind of. Uh, I, I unironically watched that show and enjoyed it. I never didn't enjoy it. <laughs> okay, so I'll go next. Uh, so for my number five, I went with the show called Overhauling. And for anyone who does not know that show, it's basically a car show. It's basically just have. It's partially extreme makeover and partially punked, where they take the car the classic old rusty car and they completely transform it into this this new hot rod looking car and but not only do they do that but they um they do like a punk kind of thing where they pretend that the the car uh, repair is going horribly wrong and then all of a sudden they trick the customer yeah they trick the customer into thinking that um you know everything is you know gonna go into shambles but in reality they're um they're just making the car look super awesome. And uh, so the concept of that show is really neat. And for num- my number four, I went with Wipeout. Um, I know that show did not, the concept of that show did not last long. Um, I did enjoy the comedy, but also the athleticism of the people who could get through, um, get through the whole sequence of, um, you know, getting to the finish line and, Kind of like the, it's kind of like American Ninja Warrior, except a lot less athletic people. <laughs> Partic- yeah, except they want. The yeah, they, except they want the contestants to <laughs> utterly fail, and instead of being super freaky, super freakish in their athletic abilities. Uh, so, so that was my number four, and my number three. I have uh, another one comp- copying Ben. I went with American Idol as well, and there were seasons where I watched that show religiously. Uh, or excuse me, epi- excuse me, uh, years where I watched that uh, that show religiously, and there, I really liked Chris Daughtry. He was probably my favorite one. So I, um, and I do listen to some of his music. Uh, and I was not a fan when he got voted off, and freaking Taylor Hicks won it all, and he didn't even do anything with his <laughs> career, and he was only voted just because everyone loved him for his, you know, his goofy personality and his gray hair. And so I watched. I watched a ton that year, and I watched when Kelly Clarkson won. Ruben stuttered. I also won. I, I also watched when Fantasia Barino won. And funny story, um, there was one time where, uh, when I was in the North Carolina airport, the Charlotte airport, I actually walked past her. And the reason why I knew is because like I heard a lot of people saying, "Hey, it's Fantasia," and then I see her like she's like ten feet away from me as I'm walking past her while she's going to her next flight. So that was that was kind of neat. And, uh, and also to add on to American Idol, I also loved how Randy Jackson, every time he was just like, oh, that was, I like, oh no, that was the bomb. I loved his reactions. <laughs> his were the best. They're the classic, like, I want to say singing, but like just three judge panel. Uh, they like, they had the mean guy, the like kind of nice guy who you go either way kind of guy and then the one who's always positive you know so like i i thought they were a, a solid judging team they were the ogs yeah yeah like no i i enjoyed it from start to finish when it was um like the start where they have the contestants utterly fail uh for their horrible singing and then i also obviously enjoyed it when it was the final 12 and they were looking to see who would become the you know, the next American Idol, of course. And then, so for my number two, I went with Guy Code, um, an MTV show, basically pretty much telling you how to live by the bro code. And 
Um, shout out to Melanie Iglesias for being awesome on that show. And shout out to also Danelle Rawlings as well. He, those were, those were two of my favorites, not only on Guy Code, but also Guy Court as well. And so, and also for my number one, I went with Beauty and the Geek. And for anyone who doesn't know that show, it's basically a competition between, um, uh, the beauty and the beautiful woman, of course, and, uh, the geek guy. And they all get up in pairs of two, of course, and they're all in the same house. Um, it's kind of, it's, I don't want to say it's like The Bachelor, but they're all in the same house living together, but it's a competition to see which, which beauty and which couple can stay in the, stay in the longest and kind of similar, kind of similar to The Bachelor where they have all these challenges and see who gets voted off. And, um, so that was my number one for my favorite reality show. Dang, I've straight up never heard of that, but it sounds interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of that one either. Uh, I actually watched Guy Code like almost every single day, second semester, freshman year. I just have like a three and a half hour break between classes from like 2.30 to 6, and I just go back to my dorm room and watch MV- MTV2, and uh, Guy Code was a popular one that was usually on. That's when you became cool, Corey. You watch Guy Code for long enough and you're like, <laughs> suddenly, like, <laughs> you're like dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it was, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll move on to my list now. So at number five, I have Bachelor in Paradise. And I actually started watching the Bachelor franchise in 2017 when I was invited to play in the Bachelor Fantasy on the ESPN app and uh, actually started watching the show because of that and I was quickly hooked. But I didn't realize just how great it was until that following summer when Bachelor in Paradise arrived. And that is my favorite iteration of the show. So instead of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette where you have the one person who is deciding between uh, 30 eligible um, bachelor or bachelorettes you have everyone on the island is looking for the the love of their life and hoping to leave engaged and i just think it's a lot more entertaining uh just for that reason having a mix of guys and girls and there's lots of competition and uh when when you think that there's this perfect couple a new person arrives and just throws everything off so Uh, That's why Bachelor in Paradise to me is my favorite, and it makes it number five. And number four, I have Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Before I went as Guy Fieri as Halloween in college, I spent many Friday nights in middle school and high school watching the Food Network, and Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives was always my favorite. Guy Fieri has uh, once said, some people are just born to cook and talk, and that cannot describe him any better. Uh, I I always love watching his shows, and that's that's one that has been going on for years now. And uh, he's actually been to some some places that I have been to, uh, most notably Polly's in Columbia, South Carolina, which is a great burger place. So uh, definitely enjoy watching that one. At number three, I have Bar Rescue. Huge fan of John Taffer. Uh, I think it's amazing how he can just go to these horrible establishments, just total rundown bars, getting ready to go out of business and save them in you know just a, a few days. It feels like so. Uh, I, I always find that one entertaining, and he's had a, a very good success rate. He just really knows how to to hammer in on these these bad bar and restaurant owners. Number two. 
American Idol. You guys both had it on your list. I'm not going to go too much into this one, but it was a show that I watched my family for years. Uh, the first season I watched was in fourth grade, and that was when Taylor Hicks won uh, a season when Chris Daughtry probably deserved it. He did deserve fourth, it. Yes. And he has been a superstar since. So I uh, definitely love Chris Daughtry and... Uh, I thought that the show definitely had ran its time by the time it ended. I haven't watched it in years now. I don't I, I, know why it was. I think Simon Cowell by left, ABC. Uh, the, the perfect time, like right, right when it was starting to go downhill, and the yeah. uh, shows like Britain and America's Got Talent yep. and The Voice were starting to starting to rise. Yeah, you don't you don't even have have Simon Cowell and Randy Jackson and Paula Abdul anymore. Right? That, that was definitely the peak of that show, and that that was the number one show in America. I was I was one of those viewers that helped make that happen. And at number one, it's Survivor. I haven't watched this show since high school, but as a kid, you know, from I I think also fourth grade until my senior year of high school, I watched every single season. It was always my favorite, and it was to the point where I created my own Survivor series to play with uh, family, friends, and my cousins whenever we'd go camping or to our, our beach vacation week. And to me, because of that, Survivor has to be on my number one, just the way that it has uh, continued to live on for me despite not watching the show anymore, just through my own iterations of it with me. Uh, originally being the guy behind the camera and then eventually becoming the Jeff Probes host. So easy one for me to put that one. Number one is my favorite reality TV show of all time. That's uh, the least surprising thing I've heard throughout this whole top five, <laughs> because I thought there was something survivor related that turned us onto this reality TV show. Top five. I was surprised that it was America's got talent slash the bachelor, but um, I'm, you know, not surprised at all that Survivor's your number one. Corey and Survivor are very synonymous in my mind. Almost as synonymous as uh, Guy Fieri. But uh, yeah, I, I respect Survivor at number one. One thing I'd like to mention, uh, Ben, have you ever seen the movie Wild Hogs? No. Is that the one about the guys on the... Yes, no. so it has Tim Allen, Martin Lawrence, uh, John Travolta, and uh, William H. Macy. And the reason why I bring it up is because at the end of the movie, in the credits, they do something extreme makeover related where um the i'll just spoil alert for people who want to see the movie um the <laughs> the guys the bad guys or the bikers the real bikers um their bar gets blown up by those four guys and so they need to break a new one and so what happens is the extreme makeover crew like ty pennington like <laughs> they they help rebuild the bar, the bar and, and then they're like move that bus and it's all it's this amazing bar and then all yeah. of a sudden Ty Paint in the middle of it he's like and you guys get a free supply of free beer <laughs> so dude that's awesome see like I this is I wanted to interject also like I think that that kind of cultural impact that reality TV shows even though I don't like them I think you have to respect it um and just like American uh extreme makeover got to be in the uh you know a cameo in a movie that has some big name actors so i mean american idol made all three of our lists like it's that is an undeniably uh culturally impactful show so even though i don't like reality tv i think it's appropriate that we appreciate the greats um and i'm and i'm glad we did it yeah not every reality tv show is keeping up with the kardashians there's certainly <laughs> a lot of good ones out there <laughs> 
Yeah, notice that that one. <laughs> that right. one's that was probably the actual number one, but definitely didn't make like the list for or Jersey dudes. Shore. <laughs> no, or Jersey Shore. Yeah, no. which all right. Um, yeah, oh, Jersey Shore. I I was time to put that one on my list. Actually, I I I will admit that I love Jersey Shore. That was one that my parents started watching, and I started watching with them, and I'm I'm not afraid to admit it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. afraid to admit that I absolutely hated it. <laughs> 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 all right so that's all we have for you that is our, the second episode of he's done it uh we will be back with you next week to talk about the afc and nfc championship games and more so do you guys have anything to leave our listeners with this weekend we've got some great football to watch so i'm looking forward to that and if you're listening to this i know for sure you're going to be listening or you're watching too so we're all excited couldn't agree more and i'm excited to watch the patriots chargers game even though i predict that they're gonna lose i at least i'm predicting that it's gonna be way more interesting than that freaking patriots titans game that i had to watch last year <laughs> complete waste of time <laughs> hey I'm, I'm with you brian let's let's go chargers. <laughs> <All right. laughs> thanks everyone